Hey, hey, on this special episode of Sap and Chance, what a better way to start 2024 interview season with the one and only Fritz the Whip Vanderpool. Canadian boxing legend, guys, if you want to find out all the details on this, all the stories, all the things surrounding this individual, you got to tune into the show. Sap and Chance, here we go. Hey, hey, everybody, welcome back to a very special episode of Sap and Chats. Guys, it's 2024. This is the first interview of the season, and we are blessed and privileged to have with us Fritz the Whip, Vanderpool, Canadian boxing, six-time boxing champion, champion of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Fritz Vanderpool. Fritz, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's an honor. No, it's a privilege. Thank you so much, sir. Um, we're we're Sam and Chance. We do a boxing podcast out here out of Vancouver. And in the last little while, we've started this whole segment about Canadian boxing history. And uh, it's amazing what we have in this country. And we feel that we don't have enough recognition for the stars and the future stars that are coming out of this country. And the history is rich. Fritz, how did you get into the boxing? I know that you were born in Trinidad and, and your whole family was involved in boxing from an early age. How did that happen? Yeah, actually, you know, it, it's interesting you asked that question because it was just asked of me earlier today about, about two hours ago. And um, so I come from a family of five boys, but my oldest brother, I'm the middle child, so my oldest brother was getting picked on as a kid when we came up to this country up to uh, Kishinewalu from Trinidad and Tobago. So my oldest brother was a skinny kid. He was getting picked on as a kid. So um, he came home and said, you know, dad, I'm getting picked on. Da, da, da. So my dad said, listen, well, I got I to take you to the boxing club. So you can learn how to defend yourself. Now, that being said, my father was um, was a marathon runner and a jockey. So boxing wasn't in the sport. But the thing was, he loved Muhammad Ali. He watched Muhammad Ali. He loved Muhammad Ali. And uh, he said, hey, you know what? Boxing's the way. I got to take you to the gym to be able to learn how to defend yourself. And, uh, you know, he eventually took my brothers and we all eventually ended up going to the gym and learning how to box. So, you know, interesting enough, like I said, I'm the middle child. So I have two older brothers, two younger brothers. And uh, we're all, I come from a boxing family. All five boys did box. And um, what what the story is actually is my, my oldest brother, he was a softball, he had quick hands, he was slick. My next older brother, he had fast hands, fast feet. So he'd get this combination, get out, get out, get out of trouble. Then there's myself, then my next younger brother, uh, he had heavy hands. He'd be hitting you, boom, boom, he'd knock guys out. Hitting a boom, knock him, but boom, he had power. Or oh, you've muted yourself. Sorry, Fitz, you've uh, muted your phone. There we go. There we go. Yeah, we have a little bit of everybody in this repertoire. So, and then there's my middle. I didn't have, you know, any special power, any, you know, any speed, nothing like that. But I just kept, I just kept working, kept coming at you, kept working at it, right? So, um, you know, 
an interesting question, you know, was that I had asked, I sat there and I kept saying, okay, God, why did you choose me of the five boys to be the one to win all these belts? Because as you know, there's there's seven belts in my family. I own six of the belts. My one youngest brother, Sid, owns one of the belts. So there's seven belts in my family. So I, I, I kept saying, well, God, why did you choose me to be the one to, to win all these belts? And then um, I know Emmett Smith, the football player, yep. he had a thing. He said, all men are created equal. All men are created equal. Some work harder in preseason. And I thought to myself, you know what? I thought back to my career growing up, you know, with me and my brothers training and stuff. And I thought, you know what? I said, this makes sense because I worked hard. Um, you know, I kept working hard. Hard work, hard work is all I need. But at this point in my life, I want to put some of my smart work as well into play. I'm working hard. I will work hard. And I can. I do work hard. But I'm going to put some smart work into play. So, you know, so yeah. So I saw, you know, that all the hard work is what helped me get those belts. Um, and, uh, you know, just it was just a matter of, you know, some, some people are average. Some want to be above average. Some are happy with what they've done, what they've accomplished in life. Others of us want to accomplish more. We, you know, I know, I remember when I had two belts, I wanted three. When I had three belts, I wanted four. When I had four, so forth online. Now, at this point, I'm sitting here with six belts. Uh, 2013, 11 years ago, I became the oldest Canadian boxing champion in history, succeeding our, our boxing legend icon, George Chavallo. I became the oldest Canadian champion. And, uh, that was pretty amazing and incredible myself because I nobody would have ever dreamt or thought that I could ever accomplish something or that I would be in that position. I didn't think I would be there. I didn't think myself. Like, I mean, you know, so, but <clears throat> that being said, I've got six belts and there are seven days in a week. So one day I don't have a belt to wear. Just kind of, you know what? I don't know, man. I don't know about that. Now, if I ask my son, I'll say, son, what do you think, right? My son would say, well, dad, you know what? You've already got six belts. You're the oldest Canadian champion. You know, you've done your, you've done your tour in the ring. So that's when I take a, take a step back because he's the one with the reasoning. I'll take a step back and say, you know what? You got a great point, son. You know what? I've done a lot in boxing already. I've got those six belts, the oldest Canadian boxing champion. I'm in a couple of Hall of Fames. You know, my work is done in the ring. Absolutely. Uh, now, just to go back to 2013, if I can, very quickly, just came into my mind. You did an interview just before that fight, and the reporter asked you, you know, why, why, why do you think, you know, what, what, what is the reasoning behind this? Why are you going after a title after this time off? And you said, because I can. So ten years later. So ten years later. Is that still the same or has it changed a little bit with experience now when you look at the reasoning behind it? Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, for me to, to want to go back into the ring now, um, it, it, you know, it's not really one of my goals. It's not something that I have. I mean, it's like I said to you, when I won my second title, I wanted a third title. When I won the third, I wanted a fourth. I've got six belts. My titles are not done. I don't rest on my accolades. I've done that. Yes, I'm the oldest Canadian boxing champion. I don't rest on my accolades. You may want to bring me back. I mean, I'm going to tell you something right now. There's something big that's right now in God's plan, and it's going to be happening in the next three weeks. Um, 
And uh, I'm excited about it. Um, you know, what I find when I go through life and I, you know, accomplish goals, chase my dreams, start, you know, um, achieving things, you'll find that you have haters. You have haters, people who don't yeah. like you, who don't want to see you succeed. You know, people say they want to see you do good, but not better than them. They want to see you do well, but not more well than them. them. You want to see you succeed, but not succeed more or achieve more than them. And, um, you know, I know that people are going to be um, envious and, you know, there's going to be more, you know, more jealousy, more hating going on. I mean, if you're not doing nothing, if you're not doing something good, something successful, you're not going to have haters. If you have haters, you're doing something. You're making yeah. things happen in this world. For me, what I'm going to embark upon in the next three weeks is going to be um, a life-changing thing for me. Um, and I'm going to use it and utilize it to the best of my ability. It has been it has been 30 years in the making. You know, I remember when I when I fought in 1992 when I was trying to go for Barcelona to Spain. Uh, I fought the then Canadian champion Mark Duke. I fought him seven times. I fought so the first six times that I fought him from 1989 to 1992, I lost to him six times in a row. Now, some people would say, okay, well, listen. You know, in baseball, there's strike one, strike two, strike three, or oh, listen, you lost them four times, five times, six. Why do you keep going? I say, because I know in my heart and in my mind that I can beat this guy and I'm winning some of these fights. So finally, this seventh time, 1992, Barcelona, Spain, Olympic trials, I beat him the first time. The seventh fight, I was like, I had my hands raised like this. They said, the winner fits Vanderpool. I'm like this. I'm like, Oh my lord, is this just really happening? I mean, the seventh time I finally beat him. Now, most people would have quit after two times, three times, four times, whatever. Quitting is not in my DNA. I'm not a quitter. Um, I kept on, like I said, I won the seventh fight. And then they said, after I, I was getting out of the ring, they said the champion has to beat the challenge. The challenger has to beat the champion twice in order to go to the Olympics. Ciao. And that second fight, you know, I mean, I know I won two of the rounds, two of the three rounds, but he had so many points because of the computer scoring system mm. that he appointed me. <clears throat> so he went to the Olympics. Now, I can understand that because, I mean, they spent the last four years sending him, sending him on like four or five trips around to like to Cuba, to Jamaica, to England, to different parts of the states. You know, so they're, they had invested a lot of money in him. And they didn't want some guy coming in to beat him without that, you know, um, international experience to represent Canada. Plus, the big thing I know that they said was that, you know, I, I mean, Mark LeDuc, God rest his soul, that he's got strawberry hair and freckle face. And he he can, he looks like a Canadian. He can represent Canada. He looks like a Canadian. Whereas, I guess I don't necessarily look like a Canadian, what they consider a Canadian. So, all things being said, and that aside, you know what? Uh, I did the best I could in the situation I had. You know, I did come through and finally show that I was not going to give up and finally beat him. And then, uh, yeah, the rest is history. You know, went on to go from there, went on to turn pro, you know, knowing that I had to take destiny in my own hands and control what was going on. So I turned pro in, in 1993, January 1993, with Gary Petronelli, got arrested his hope in Boston, Massachusetts, which is where the great Marvin Hagler trained, was trained by Goody Petronelli. Wow. So I, I turned pro in, in Boston with my brother, my younger brother, Sid, uh, Sid Vanderpool, who, because he was 
a softball, and so is Marvin Hagler. So that's why my brother sourced out Goody Petrinelli as his trainer to manage his career. And, uh, you know, I spent the first, my first six fights I spent in Boston um, with Goody. And um, after my, my sixth fight, I had option of buying out my contract because I was, I believe I was five, I was four and one going into a fight uh, against Reggie Showtime Green in Atlantic City. He was one of the top, top ranked fighters. And I fought Reggie. I was four, I was four and old. Reggie was, uh, I believe, six and old. And uh, I fought him a four rounder, and um, he got a split decision. But what happened in that fight was I, you know, I had knocked Reggie, knocked him off his feet. I hit him so hard, I I knocked him off out on his feet. And when I say that, um, he was like he was out on his he was out. He was like like this, and then I went back and I hit him and I woke him up. I hit him to back to the head and I woke him up. Whereas I didn't know any better to go to the body because when you hit to the body, you deflate the balloon, you take the air out of, him, and he goes over and doubles down. But I hit him back to the head and I woke him up. And I'm like, ah, man. But long story short, that was the only damage done in the fight was me hurting him like that. Went to the, went to the decision. He got the decision. And then so I had one kick of my career. And I eventually left uh, Boston, came back home because I found that I wasn't getting the proper work needed necessary for me to excel as a professional. So the option I had was at 26, the option I had was either I'd sit out for two and a half years of my contract or I could buy my contract and uh, continue fighting, go back to Canada and continue fighting. So me believing in myself, knowing that with hope is possible, bought my contract and uh, came back to Canada and started training with my uh, my trainer, uh, Joe Hashnell Sr. The two of us set on this journey to be, on this journey to become champions. Now, it was a long shot because we were, I was self-managed, self-financed, self-promoted. I had my trainer, uh, Joe Hashnell Sr., who was with me. He believed in me. I believed in myself. He believed in me. And the two of us were set to go out there and blaze a trail like I'd never been blazed before. You know, there was no trail blaze. So we were set to go out there and blaze a trail and leave breadcrumbs as to where we came from and how we got there so others could do the same. Chris. Who inspired you growing up as a boxer when you were growing up that made you want to fight like them? Or who did you try to emulate, if anybody? You know what? It was uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Nice. Sugar Ray Leonard. It's my man. I mean, I remember my my pro debut. Um, I was in there like Sugar Ray. I was like, and I was like <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, yeah, I just. Yeah, sure is my man. I, I just love him. He was he was he was he was good looking. He's caress, charismatic. He was fast. Good box. I'm like, so so you see that's what me and Sherry have in common. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you're much better looking than Sugar Ray, don't worry. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> and you look like you're in better shape than Sugar Ray too, so <laughs> yeah. Well, I like I said, I, I always get that question, you know, like you know. You know, why 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 are you in such good shape? I think you know what mm -hmm. I have to take care of myself. My body's a vessel. Um, you know, a lot of times like I think what what happens with, with a lot of people is that they're average. They do things for a certain time, they get to a certain point in their life, they achieve certain goals, and then they stop. Yeah. You can't stop. You have to I always keep setting goals and keep achieving. And you'll understand what I'm saying in, in the next three weeks. You may want me back. When you see what happens <laughs> when, when Absolutely. you see what I'm talking about in the next three weeks. 
It'd be a whole different thing. You'd be talking to a whole different person. But that being said, I don't rest on my laurels. Yes, I did what I did. I've accomplished what I've accomplished. That's fine. That was then. I, I'm not dead. I'm still alive. I have things I want to do still. I want. I have to be. I have to look good. I have to represent what I want my students to be like. I just noticed it was. Um, actually, it was 1989. 1989. I had my first coaching certification. That's. 35 years ago, 35 wow. years ago, I knew where I wanted to be, that I, I wanted to teach other boxers life lessons and life skills through boxing. I've had my gym, I've had my own gym here for 22 years now in the city. Most fighters, as you well see and know, most, the average fighter, most fighters, when they're done their boxing career, then they say, well, what am I going to do? I got to do something in my life. Oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll open a boxing club. Maybe I'll coach fighters how to do what I did. So they've got like maybe 15, 15 years in the bank now. I've got 35 because I knew what I was destined to do. I knew what I wanted to do. I already have my 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 life planned out that way. When 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 it comes to training fighters now, like from, from when you were being trained to how you train, how much has changed in terms of your style or your principles or the techniques? Well, a lot, a lot of the fighters coming in now, like, I mean, I watch them work and they don't have, you know, the work ethic that I have. They don't train as hard as I train. But, you know, and, and I, I'm not going to make excuses for them, but, you know, because I think right now, this generation, it's a whole different thing than when I was growing up. How we, we had to fight for what we wanted, you know, um, Back when I was growing up, we had one gym in the city. Now we've got like, I don't know, about three, three or four gyms in the city. So these guys can kind of pick and choose what they want to do, sort of thing, so to speak, right? But I mean, back in my day, we had one gym. I remember um, I quit boxing for four years. So I quit boxing from 84 to 88. In between that time, you know, that was at the, the Waterloo Box Club with Arnie Beam, God rest his soul. And I remember after watching 88 Olympics, on TV, I had my foot on watching the Olympics. I saw I said Dar, Lennox, those all those guys. I said, those are all my boys. I should be there with those guys at the Olympics here. And I, I wasn't. So I said, I want to come back. So I came back in 1989. When I came back in 1989 to the gym, now, you know, Arnie had a lot of had a lot of good fighters there. You know, he had the, you know, the Chris Johnson, Greg Johnson, a couple of other guys. And he was working with them, training with those guys. While I was off for those four years, those guys were in the gym training. So when I went back to the gym, to his gym and I started to train. I was, you know, hitting the bag. I must have sat there for about four or five months. I walk in, I say, hey, hey, coach, how you doing? I, you know, say hi, go in, get changed, put my, put my wraps on, hit the bag, um, you know, do some skipping, do some shot boxing. After the workout was done, I said, bye, coach, you know, left. I did this for four or five months. He never worked with me. He never looked at me. And and I understand that because, you know, because the other fighters were there while I wasn't there and he probably thought that I might, I might quit again. So, understandable, but I just diligently kept doing my stuff, kept banging away, banging away. Then this trainer was there, uh, Joe Hashnell, Joe Hashnell Sr. This made Jacksonville, but he was, uh, he he was he had a layover in Kitchener. So he was in the gym and he watched me every day. And he's like, this kid's, you know, for four or five months coming in, hitting the bag diligently, just, you know, shot a box and doing his work and then going back out, hitting the bag. And I just, you know, it was a thing like when I was, when I'm in the gym, when a round, when I one minute round goes rest, one minute rest, I'll rest. After when the bell goes ding ding, I'm back punching the bag. Whereas I know it's the guys now, they'll be sitting there talking. So the bell went ding ding, and they're still sitting there talking. 
No, you're in the gym to work. That's I put my all into it. You know. And uh, how did you get? How did you come up with the name Whip? Well, I think that's one of the coolest nicknames in boxing. Explain how that came about because that's that's I love that nickname. <clears throat> well, as you know, as you know, Casey, let me let me tip this a little higher for you. So, as you know, it's right with hope is possible, right? Yeah, that's Whip. Okay, so the nickname the Whip it came up for a fight that I had in 1989. Um. When I came back, I was fighting this youngster from uh, from Kingston, Ontario, and I hit him with my right hand, and I, I knocked him, and I knocked him out. And he was, you know, like I said, we're amateur, right? So we got the big, you know, we got the gloves, ten ounce gloves, we got the headgear and stuff. Boom! He was up for five to ten minutes. They're yeah. like, they're waking him up. Doctors coming in, da-da. So after the fight, when I left the ring, I stepped out of the ring. This former professional boxer was there. And he said to me, he goes, man, when I got down to the bottom of the stairs, the fighter says to me, he goes, he goes, he goes man, he says, he says, you really whipped that punch. He said, you whipped that punch. And I said, I said, really? Well, yeah. I said, so then I started going, yeah, I did whip the punch. I did whip that punch. Then, right? And I said, so I go, the whip, the whip. And then, you know, the, the name came in. I started, then the whip started sticking. I remember when I was fighting on CBC Sports TV, they say, Vince, the whip band for one and all. <laughs> you know, I'm hitting the way these guys to whip. Now, what I want to say, uh, I don't want to leave out the professional fighter who gave me that nickname, The Whip, because he just passed away a few months ago. Uh, was uh, trainer and coach Everton McEwen. Um, and, and Everton was also in my corner when I won the WBF World title in Toronto. He was also one of my coaches nice. in my corner when I won the title that fight. So, you know, I, as I was telling his wife and his and and his daughter and his son. I said, listen, you know what? I mean, that's that's that man gave me that name. So the whip and then the acronym for with hope it's possible that came a little after. So I said, okay, well, with us. So then you know then then with hope it's possible came up, and it's so it's so powerful that what I do now, <clears throat> and you'll catch on later. What I do now is that I mean, um, you know, when I talk to little youngsters at school. At schools and stuff, and I, I let them know that if they have a goal, they have a dream, something they want to accomplish in life, that with hope it is possible. They can accomplish those goals. Now, I know people try to say, oh, with hope, anything's possible. No, anything's not possible. I can't do anything. I can't sure. be anything. But if I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a professional boxing champion, I can be those things. Because with hope, it's possible. Um, you know, I'm willing to put the hard work into it, make the dedication, make the sacrifices to be successful. And yes, with hope, it, it is possible. Yeah. I love feel, that name. Sounds awesome. Do you feel that in today's generation that they, they don't really believe, like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is with today's generation and, you know, the youth of today, that everything is expected. They almost feel like they, they're entitled to everything and, and, you know, the work doesn't have to be put in or they think they only have to put a little bit of work in to get where they want to go. How do you deal with that with the boxes in your gym? If you have to deal with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely there. I mean, you know, these, these young guys, they come in and you know what, the, you know, the thing is too, like I'm blessed in such a way that I can put on the gloves with my guys and get in the ring and show them, you know, what it is I'm trying to tell them about. 
Because sometimes I'll be like, okay, guys, you know, you got to use your job. Your job dictates everything. You got to keep that job out there. Keep keep it like a radar. Keep the guy at that distance right there. And they're looking at me like, but, but, I, but I can't, coach. And one sec. First of all, you don't say can't in my gym. That's a bad word. You don't say you can't. You can, okay? And and then so I'll put on the gloves and I'll I'll get in front of my guys. And I'll just I show them like, here you go, guys. This is what you got to do. They're like, oh. I said, yeah, I see what happens when I'm throwing the jab. He's either on the defense or he's not out there outside that radar. He's not coming in. That's what the jab does. It sets everything up. But everybody, everybody's so worried about trying to hit the home run punch that they forget the jab is what needs to set everything up. So, yeah, you know, and it's entitlement. I mean, you know, this this new generation, they don't work as hard as oh. we did back in the day. And that's evident. Like I said, I watch them too. And I'm watching the guys. And I'm saying different. You're doing different drills on the bag. And I'm doing a drill. And I'm telling the guys, okay, you're throwing one, two. So you go. It's so one, two like this, right? I said, no, it's, it's like this, one, two. You see my hand fully extending? That's how it's done. But these kids are going like this. And they think they're so fast. I'm like, you're fast, but you're doing half the work. Yeah. So you're not going to get the results you're looking for. It almost feels like they don't want to learn the basics. They just want to go straight to straight yeah. to the dance. Straight to yeah, straight to the dance. They want to, they want to get right there. They want to win a championship right away, right there. How, can can I get in a big fight? It's funny because a lot of kids that come in the gym too, and the first thing they're like, oh, well, um, how how do you do you, do you train boxing in gym? Yeah, I train boxing. This is boxing, not ballet. Oh well, uh, I want I want to be able to come in and spar. I said, well, it's a process. It's a yeah. process. You don't just come in the gym and ju jump in the ring and start sparring. You, it's a process. You got to follow the process. Once you get to that point, if you're still here, then we'll take it to the next level from there. You know, but everybody wants to spar right away. They want to spar. Like, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, my father was an amateur boxer back in the day, and he trained me a little bit. But before I could even throw a punch, I had to prove to him that I could run five miles without stopping. Okay. <laughs> well, right? you know, and that's one of the biggest things in boxing. And people don't understand. These young people don't understand. It's conditioning. You need to be conditioned. Yeah. If you're a fine-tuned machine, you're conditioned. Whether you have whether your skills are not that great, but if you just keep punching the whole time for the whole two minutes of a round, there's a good chance you're gonna win. Absolutely. You know, because the skill is one thing, but the will is greater than the skill. The will is greater than the skill. I don't care what people want to say, you can say however you want. The will is if I'm willing to win and you're skilling to win, your skills will only take you so far. My will will take me the rest of the way to the finish line. Fritz. Who were some of your toughest opponents you fought in the ring? Um, okay, one, one of my one of my toughest fights was actually when I fought Tony Badia, Tony the Bad Boy Badia for the Canadian title in 1996. He I that fight this morning. What's that? I watched that fight this morning. Yeah. So let me tell you why. Because I mean, I won the fight, but the reason why the fight was tough was because I had fought. Charles the Natural Murray in July, the year July before. So I fought Charles the Natural Murray in 1995. And Charles is the natural former IBF. He's a former IBF world champion. He knocked me down in the sixth round of that fight. And uh, during that fight, what happened was I, my oldest brother was in the front row watching the fight. And when Charles, Charles kept cracking, because I kept throwing the jab and I dropped in the jab. So he kept coming to the top with his right hand. And he finally... Like an egg, finally cracked me, come a sixth round. And, you know, I went down and then I got back up. And when I got back up, I remember my brother who was in the front row was in the ring holding me. And I'm like, 
what I, what are you doing in the ring? I thought you were in the front row. So of course there's too many men in the ring, so the referee stops the fight. So after that fight, I was I was advised by my family, my brothers, to quit boxing. Um now, you know, some people ask me and say, Well, listen, you know, maybe they were concerned for your health, maybe they didn't want to see you get hurt. Da da da. Now if you quit, you'll never know if you could could have finished, if you could have done what it was necessary to be done. Mm -hmm. I don't tell my fighters, you know, to quit. I encourage them to keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Push on. Push on. You know, as a fighter, you, you have to know, as a fighter, you can't make up another professional fighter's mind when it's for him to quit. He'll know when, himself when he's to quit. You can try to say, oh, yeah, quit. But the worst thing you do, because... He he knows when he wants to quit. You can't you can't tell him to quit. Yeah. And uh, you know, as a guy like myself growing up, I was never a quitter. I never had quitting was not in my DNA. I always kept pushing, pushing, pushing harder. When they told me it couldn't be done, I kept working hard to show that yes, it could be done. But put my mind to work hard, it can be accomplished. So anyway, when I when I was told by advice by family, my brothers to quit boxing, I chose not to. I came back and right away I had a title shot against Tony Badia. Now, Tony Badia was uh, 13-0 with 10 knockouts. Tony, Tony was knocking everybody out. I just got knocked out the fight before. They're bringing me in as a sacrificial lamb. Get knocked out by Tony. And you know what? In the first round, Tony hit me with left hook and knocked me back on the ropes. I recovered from the rope. Thanks to the referee came and gave me an eight count. The whole time, I'm praying, Lord, please, I got to win this fight. I told every, everybody back home in Kistner, I'm going to bring the belt back. And, you know, I mean, I can see why nobody really want, nobody really believed me because first of all, I got knocked out by Charles Murray and I'm fighting this knockout artist now, but there had never been a belt brought back to the city before. So nobody has seen it done and they were going, well, why this guy just got knocked out? Why is he going to bring this belt back? It's not going to happen. So I can understand why they didn't believe me when I said I was a dude, but I trained hard. My timing and preparation created, created the opportunity for me to become champion. I trained hard. My train, my Papa Joe Hines, senior trained me for the fight. Got ready. Uh, uh, he couldn't go because he had was a work obligation. So I took, I took my two brothers, my brothers uh, Sid and Keith. I brought with me to work my corner because it didn't matter. They just had to sit in the corner to give me water or put the stool for me if I wasn't wanting to sit down. And so I brought my two brothers out there in the first round. Ding ding, you know. Actually, and so the scenario for that fight, if you watch it was like Rocky and Drago. Rocky and Drago. You know, uh, he was Drago. I guess I'm Rocky. But anyways, he was Drago. So, um, the big Romanian puncher. And so, you know, they, they announced us in the ring. You know, they said, in the red corner, hey, from Kishner, Ontario, Fitz, the whip, Vanderpool. You got my two corner guys are clapping like this. I'm like, okay. They go, and in the blue corner from Edmonton, Alberta, Tony, the back whip. The whole place goes wild. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go, okay, I'm going to show you guys. Don't want to clap for me, no problem. So we get on, the fight starts. The first round hits me in the left hook, boom. You know, probably third round hit me. Like I said, I'm going to try back on the ropes. Came off the ropes. Referee gave me the eight count. I'm praying I'm going to continue on. Went on to the fight. Kept pushing forward, using that jab, bang, bang, bang. You know, <clears throat> then now, you know, as I, as afterwards, when I sit back and I listen to the commentators, so I went to the second round, third round. By the third round, the commentators are going, oh, well, uh, Tony doesn't really cut himself, you know, uh, but 
he has a way of, of, of using his laces and he must be scratching himself with his laces. Well, when you look at the gloves, we, our gloves were taped up. There were no laces. Yeah. So they're saying he's getting scratches on his face from his gloves, from laces. There were no laces. Okay, now come the come the fourth round. You know, there's there's a cut on a uh, cut on this side, start bruising and someone to this side. Well, we know Vanderpool's not really a big puncher. Well, where are these things coming from in his face? You know, yeah. <laughs> and finally, you know, finally come the sixth round when I caught him. That's when the whip came into play. Hit him with the whip, and I just jump. Come <laughs> up on the ropes. Come back. And thankfully, the referee stepped in and stopped the fight. Uh, and I, I missed I missed my last two punches that I threw at him. But thankfully, the referee stepped in and stopped the fight. Tony, he had, he had a big cut down his face. It was just a whole bunch of blood down here. Da, da, da. You know, I did what I had to do to win the fight. Sixth round of the fight was stopped. The referee comes in and puts the belts around my waist. And I, you know, I raised my hand, but I still couldn't believe I won the fight because I wasn't supposed to. I couldn't, I hadn't, I still had not absorbed that. So it wasn't until that night when I left the venue, I had the belt around my waist. I left the venue, I stepped outside, the fresher hit me. I'm like, I felt for the belt. I said, I'm not dreaming. This is real. I said, wow, I am the champion. I'm like, it's just, just so amazing. Amazing. That's, amazing. Belt waist. That's awesome. Um, Fritz, how, how big a role does faith play in your life as 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 a boxer as a trainer as a man it, how how big of a role does that play and how long has that role been in your life if Sorry, I, what, 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 faith. how long has how long have you had faith in in your life um how long has it played a role for you it, it's it's been it's pretty well been there most of my life i mean you know my mom mom and dad i used to take us to church when we remember kids um it's always been there you know what i mean you know, so we say faith, faith without works is dead. You can sit there and say, oh, yeah, I got, yeah. So I'm sitting there waiting and waiting. No, faith without works is dead. You have to work. You have yeah. to have work into it. You can have all the faith you want, but if you're not going to put the work into it, you're not going to get the results. Yeah. You have to work, right? You know, you know, he who sat there, sat on the sands and waited, and waiting died. You can't just sit there and wait. You have to put the work into it to get the results. Absolutely. Hundred percent agree. Um, after boxing, you you you've done a lot of amazing things. You've done a lot of things for the youth, for the community. How how did that happen for you? Was that something you wanted to do after boxing, or was that something that just kind of fell in your lap and and kind of guided you? I think uh, this is, it was all part of God's plan. Okay. Um, all of what you've seen, I, I I've been doing, and you know, and and I'll be honest, I'll say it like I'll say it because. Nobody else, nobody else wants to say, nobody else is but but listen, and I, I'm the only one that does the stuff that I do as I do. Uh, because you know, I mean, like I said, I was just we're just putting something together now. Because I mean, we did the you know, we did the food drive Christmas time, we did the food drive. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm the ambassador, I'm the toy drive ambassador for the largest toy drive in southwestern Ontario. So I'm also the Pan Pan African Caribbean ambassador. I'm the um Pan uh, another ambassador for that. I'm like I I'm I've got a several ambassadors here, right? But you know what? It's interesting. I don't, I don't see other 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 fighters out there doing that, but that's okay because what I realize is that my job, my destiny here, my purpose here right now on life was not was not to be a boxer. I mean, I got lucky. I worked hard and I got lucky in winning six belts. But my job here on earth is not was not to be a boxer. 
So that being said, um, yeah, I, I've got um, you know, I've got a summer camp that I run. We just finished our we're going into our twelfth year with summer camp. We've sent over 60, 70 kids for a free week of summer camp with a world champ. Awesome. Um you know, these are things that these are things that I don't get TV coverage, I don't get exposure with it, but you know what? That's okay. I'm all right with that because you know, that's not what it's about for me. I mean, if I were to get help and get TV coverage and exposure, I could probably send more kids, make a difference in more kids' lives. But that's okay. I'll do what I what I can. I'll do what I what I gotta do right now, you know, to make these things happen. Um, you're very inspirational. Even hearing you talk in an interview, I could feel the passion when you speak about everything you do. So I'm glad you're out there in Ontario helping the youth because you're very inspirational. They can learn from your story. So I can feel it through the camera. <laughs> your inspiration, you know what I mean? So you're a natural for it. Well, well, you, and so you you understand. You okay? You yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay. So well, check this out. So I've got this one young kid, and and you know it's some I haven't really said nothing. So. I don't know if this youngster might even see it, but I've got this one <clears throat> young kid and um, young teenager, and uh, he's got he's got a mother and a father, but they're they're separated, and so it's weighed really heavy on this young kid, and um, he doesn't he doesn't like going to school, he doesn't like school, he doesn't like da da da, even at home it's tough for him. When he comes to the gym, he smiles, his face lights up, smile, gives me a big hug, he's like. He, he's happy. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to talk a lot about what this the, the situation, but I know that God brought this, yeah, in, you know, brought us into our life. And I'm gonna do my best to help guide this youngster because you know, um some would say some people say, Oh, you know what, well, you know, I, I got a mother and a father and they're fighting. I said, I said, but listen, see this kid over here, he doesn't have mother or a father. Yeah. So, no matter how bad your situation gets, somebody else has it worse, yeah. or it could be worse. So, you know, I mean, I look at, I look at even at my gym as I'm looking right now on my canvas, my ring canvas on the floor. I'd be embarrassed to show you guys, but it's torn up. It's my guys, it's piece, it's in pieces. My guys are tripping on this when they're sparring. But over the Christmas holidays, I was doing a food drive, delivering toys to kids around the community. <clears throat> I was playing Santa Whip. So I'm still having kids. Yeah, Santa Whip, I like that. I love yeah, it, man. I saw some of it on Instagram. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And and so, you know, but instead, I've, I've got this stuff here in the gym to look after. I need, I need canvas for the guys to spar, which I have to look at, you know, either today or tomorrow to get this thing done. But, you know, getting back to, to the Santa Whip thing, I mean, that was an amazing part for me doing that because that kind of that kind of fell into my lap. So, <clears throat> it was one this one young lady who needed some toys for her grandkids and she knows I'm the ambassador for the toy draft. So she said, you know, you know, Fitz, can you get some toys for my grandkids? And I said, I said, sure, I'll reach out to Knights of Columbus and you know, they'll, I'm sure they'll get us some toys. So I asked the Knights of Columbus, they got the toys, then I she contacted me back and she says, Well, I said, Well, I said, the toys are ready. She said, Well, can you drop them off? I'm like, okay, sure. I said. Who am I to say no? I mean, you know, yeah. sure, I'll drop them off. So, you know, I did that. And this was our third year. And, uh, you know, just having the kids in some of the videos, I don't know if you saw the video, but just some of those kids, three years, four years, running up, come up, Santa, 
Sands out there look in her face to, to join her eyes. Like, you can't put a price on that stuff, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've got six belts that have won world championship. You know what? You you can't put a price on, on the, 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 the excitement of those kids' face. Kind of, see, I thought, you know, I mean, they're going to remember that forever. Yeah. You know? but, but the thing I want to point out, though, is that society has programmed us in such a way to see how things are, are or to think how things are. Now, when I say Santa Claus, what do you see? When I say Santa Claus to you, what do you see? Red suit. White Red suit, white beard. Yeah. Okay. That's not bad. So, you know what? I had my red suit. I ain't got no white beard. <laughs> you know, um, I ain't Johnny. I wasn't fat. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm So, but, but, you know, hey. It's, it's a symbolism. Just, sorry? It's a symbolism. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And that's what we get programmed to that, right? We get programmed to those things. That's what the media and society programmed us to think that this is how things are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Now, if we if we can get past that, it's no, it's not. It's how, it's what we, we make of it, right? Because a lot of times in situations, it's not what happens to you in a situation. It's how you handle that situation that determines the outcome. Absolutely. So, you know, so so you may, you may choose to say, oh, hey, you know what? I had a bad day. I, I I I woke up this morning. I came to the gym. You know, I fell over it. I said, "Listen, you woke up this morning. You know how many people did not wake up? Yeah, you were doing much better than them. Yeah, you know. So yes, totally no, we we we're we're also very firm believers of that philosophy. You have to put the work in to get anything you want. Um, we we always say that." No one deserves anything. If you want it, you have to earn it. You have to put the work in. Life, life isn't easy. And if it was easy, we'd all be driving Ferraris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, how, how do you look at today's boxing scene? Do you follow it much, the current scene? Are you impressed by what you're seeing? Or do you think it could be better? Well, I, I do follow it. I mean, there's, there's not... I mean... There's a couple of fighters that I, that I that I like, um, but but it's tough though because right now it's all dollars and cents. If it don't make dollars, yeah. it don't make sense, right? With these guys, sometimes when they do the matchups for the fights, so you know, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's not you know the same as it was you know 10, 15 years ago. Even even like I mean, the the biggest the biggest clown part of it, the circus part of it, is the heavyweight division. I mean, you got. Francis Ngannou, who just, you know, went the distance with uh, Tyson Fury. And then now, I think Ngannou is going to fight, is, is set to fight um, Anthony Joshua. Joshua on March 9th. Yeah, I mean, I mean this, this this guy's second pro fight, Ngannou's second pro. And, yeah, and, and he's making he's making more than some of these poor guys never, never made before, who have been yeah. professionals. You know, career fighters for years, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure a guy like Joe Frazier, God rest his soul, is turning in his grave. You know, you know, he sat here as heavyweight champion, finally did it all these guys, and he didn't make make any other money. And you got a guy like Francis Ngannou coming in for a second pro fight, making X amount of million dollars. Yeah. 
Like, you know, and because, you know, you, you know, a guy like Joe Frazier, he, he helped make Muhammad Ali with who Muhammad Ali is. Right. Ali, you know, I was, you know, beating the monkey. Oh, look at you, George. Uh, uh, or sorry, Joe, Joe, Joe Frazier. Right? Joe. And, and then, uh, you know, I heard like even Joe Frazier ended up, ended up, um, he didn't even have his own place. I think he was living in the basement of a gym or, or living yeah. upstairs. Right. So, you know, when it gets to things like that, and, you know, these guys are so poor at the end of it all, and they have nothing. Like that. That's just a shame. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Who are your who are some of the fighters that you enjoy watching today? If you, if you have a few guys you can name so the audience knows who you're interested in, or up and comers, or current champs, or anything. Um, you know what? I mean, Crawford. Crawford's a good little fighter. Crawford's a good little fighter. Uh, yeah. I like Haney because he's a young kid doing a lot of good things. Now, you know, mind you, you know they want to debate his last fight, but you know Haney's a good little fighter too as well. Um, no. Not a whole lot of other ones, but I mean, you know, that class, I mean, well, then you also got Tank, right? Yeah. I like Tank, too. I mean, none, none of them are, are are complete from A to Z, but they have a lot of good skills, qualities, power, you know, and um, yeah, good things good things to watch from, right? Some of these kids, right? Right, right. Yeah. And not to put you on the spot, but within Canada, who do you see emerging? I, I don't yeah, you put me on the spot because I'm not really yeah. that much up on a lot of the guys around. So, but I'm gonna uh, have to take a more bigger interest and start to see who's uh, who's out there more, right? Cool. I mean, there there are a lot of like you know, as time goes on, I see there are a lot of good good young fighters coming up. But the thing is, can they endure? Can they, you know, everybody wants to go get to that destination, but there's a journey. You, and you gotta have to be you have to be strong to endure to make it to the journey. It's not the destination. You gotta get through the journey to get to that end point. And a lot of a lot of fighters will not have that uh, magnitude to, to get to the end line. You know, I mean, they may say, "Oh yeah, I'm good." And I see a lot of guys that are skilled. They're skilled, but I watched them and I go, "Okay, this guy had more skills than I did." Why? Why doesn't he have a six belt? This guy had more. This why? Where where did he drop off along? Where did he fall apart? You know what I mean? And I know that I had the strength to endure what was coming at me. And uh, I wasn't going to let, you know, uh, my journey come short of getting to the destination. Fair enough. So I I was plugged through. All right. Fritz, we do this thing on the show called Chance's Top top 5. He's going to shoot off five names to you. Instant reaction, if you could, sir. Oh, snap. (laughs) Okay, from from uh, from Ontario, Steve Molitor, IBF World Champion. Yeah, uh, Tyson Fury, heavyweight champion. Um, uh, Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. Arturo Thundergadi. He was a warrior, man. Warrior, my friend. <laughs> and one more, Roy Jones Jr. Great fighter, speed, skills. Love him. Love Roy Jones. Nice. I'm gonna throw one in just for my own benefit, Marvin Hagler. One of the greatest. He was a tough, tough fighter who never gave up. Warrior. Absolutely. And you know, and you know, I used to go to the Hall of Fame and I I, I used to see Marvin every year. We'd sit down, we'd hang out, we'd talk. And it was it was just so it was amazing. Just you know, thinking that as a kid, I watched Marvin Hagler fight Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, with my dad and everybody, and, and my dad loved 
my dad loved Marvin. And just the thing that I was, you know, I, I'd be going to Hulk every year and me and Marvin would hang out. It was so cool. That's cool. Just, just a dream. I would love to have you back on just to hear the stories. Marvin's my hero. He's the reason I love boxing. That's yeah, why I'm Marvin, yeah, Marvin, yeah. Marvin's an amazing guy. It's, it's, been, it's been an absolute honor and privilege to have you on the show with us yeah. today. But before we let you go, I have one more question. What's your message to the youth of today and to people who not just, just transcending boxing? What's your message to the world and to the youth of today? My, my message to the world youth is, is really basically this. I mean, you know, I, I'm going to tell them right now and leave them with the secret to success, what the secret to success is. And the secret to success is hard work. Okay. You have to believe in yourself. You know, if you have a goal, you have a dream, something in life that you want to accomplish, just believe and know that it can be accomplished with hard work. So you have to dedicate yourself, make the sacrifices, and you can accomplish whatever it is you put your mind to. Because with hope, it's possible. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. You're not only inspiring the kids, but you're inspiring us. Like, like I said before, I can feel the way you talk. It's very inspirational, motivational. Thank you. And perhaps maybe in three to four weeks' time, you can come back on and, and tell us all about the big announcement. Yeah. We, we would love if you told us right now, but we'll, we'll wait, wait no, for three my, weeks. My man is already feeling it. You feel it right now. I'm feeling okay. it. Well, you come back on when you get that started, and we'll talk about it. We're looking forward to asking you about it. So thank you. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Right, I'm blessed. Peace. Take care. See ya.